Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Dennis Kozlov. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. My traditional, good morning church! Yeah, awesome. Good to see you guys here. It's not going to be very Christmassy, but it's going to be good for you. But I'll start with some useful information. So if you don't get any spiritual stuff today, you can at least have something useful you can use in your home. Do you know that in most houses in America, there are substances that are purposefully put there, and they're very useful, but they should always be kept and used separately. Most likely your house has those. When combined, these two release very toxic gas. Exposure to this gas can cause irritation to your eyes, nose, throat, lungs. In high concentrations, it can lead to coma, and I'm not kidding, to death. Did you know that your house has those? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Some of you do, some of you don't, so it's already good. (laughs) I'm talking about bleach and ammonia. You should never use them together. In fact, when I was sharing this uh, illustration with Jim DeKaiser, one of our elders, he shared with me a story. Years ago, he worked as a custodian in in a high school, Jim? It was a high school, so he was working on something, and all of a sudden, he sees this guy, his co-worker, another custodian, who is just running like crazy through a hallway, holding a bucket of something like that, and just running, rushing through the school lobby. So Jim realized something is off, something is wrong. So he followed the guy. The guy jumps through the door and dumps the content of this bucket right into the grass. And Jim comes and asks, what's happening? What's going on? And the guy told him a story that he thought he had a $1 million idea. He said, we use ammonia. It cleans us pretty good. We use bleach. It does a good job. I'm going to create a super-duper cleaner. And he put it all into one bucket, and that's exactly what began to happen. Guy thought that he's a genius. He is one step away from a $1 million million idea. He nearly killed himself. So, well, if you don't take anything from today's message, just take that home, all right? So don't mix ammonia and bleach. Why did I share this story with you? Well, I'm going to, I use it to illustrate our current mini-series. Neil and I are doing mini-series called Vital distinctions, vital distinctions. The reason for that is that has been a great confusion in most of the church history. There has been a failure to discriminate, to differentiate, and to separate certain things in the Bible. And this confusion is one of the most effective ways of the enemy to render believers unfruitful and barren. The enemy loves murky waters. But God loves to dispel them and bring clarity and light. Last week, Neil did a great job showing us one of such a great vital distinction, the law and grace. How many of you have been here? Okay, you guys who haven't been here, please go online and listen to this message. You've got to know the difference between the law and grace and never mix them together. You've got to know it. Your life as a believer depends on this vital distinction. 
And similar importance, and by the way, Neil did a good job, and Martin Luther, how many of you heard of Martin Luther? So the fact that you're here today not in the Catholic Church is actually due to Martin Luther in 16th century. Do you know that? What, what, what was happening with Martin Luther, by the way, if, if you don't like big books on history, you can just watch a movie. It, it's called Martin Luther, very good movie. I highly recommend just to get acquainted what was happening in Europe back then. So, well, anyway, he was tormented in his soul because that's exactly what was happening that Neil was describing. He was trying to please an unpleasable deity. And he was tormented in his soul. But then... God began to see him, to show him, to reveal to him the difference between grace and law. And he called it the most brilliant light. And it set him free. And it brought life to him. And it brought life to the entire Europe. And it, it changed the course of history. Because someone began to see this vital distinction. Law and grace. And Neil did a great job showing to us last week. That, you know, we orient ourselves in this world by, by these categories. Good and bad. Right and wrong. Right? Right? I say right. So it kind of works in, in, in this life, in this world, but it doesn't really work with God because God has a different frame of reference represented by two important trees in the Garden of Eden. One is the tree of good and evil and another one is the tree of life that actually is a symbolic representation of Jesus. The tree of good and evil is one tree. In our book, no, life is split into good and evil. Those are two different things. God says, no, with me, it's good and evil is the same thing, kind of. And life is on the other side of the equation. And when we come to the New Testament, it's, it, you, you can actually see the same thing. It's Jesus comes... And on one side, we see scribes and Pharisees, religious leaders, Sadducees, theologians, teachers of the law, right and wrong, good and bad, clean, unclean. And on the other side, we, have, we see Jesus. And we see that people who are somewhat functional in this life, they gravitate towards the law. And people who realize their life is a mess, they easily come to Jesus and receive life. That's how it works. That's how it works. So that's a very vital distinction. And today, I want to address another one of those. And it's very, very important. And some of you might never, ever heard of that. So the failure to recognize this distinction that I'm going to talk about today creates confusion and mixed message. And the effect of this mixed message is similar to the effect of mixing bleach and ammonia. And by the way, Jim told me, this guy, when he dumped this bucket on the grass, Jim said... Years later, over a decade later, he came to that spot. He looked at this grass, and it was as bad as rock. Nothing was growing on that thing. <laughs> so much for one million dollar idea, right? So, I'm going to talk about this vital distinction. But before I do that, I want to point out and outline a problem, a real problem in the New Testament. When you come to read and study the New Testament... You're going to meet this problem. There are scores of passages in the New Testament that declare with absolute certainty the good news about the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. 
in no certain terms, it declares a free gift of his grace. Can I hear an amen to that? So did you see those passages in the New Testament? They're wonderful. They melt my heart. They make me go. They make me, to, they make me want to preach Jesus to people because there's so much goodness of God manifested in those passages. Here a couple of examples. <clears throat> Some of you know them by heart. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Revelation 22.17, the very last book of the Bible. A lot of things has happened. The very end it goes, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Free gift of God's grace. Praise the Lord. I'm, I'm getting excited. I'm getting my, my Pentecostal side of me is getting out. Sorry, guys. Ephesians 2.8. Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anybody can boast. It's all His work. His grace. It's Jesus. It's God. It's not about you. You have nothing to add to that. You can just receive it wholeheartedly. You, no additives. Actually, any additive will spoil this pure, pure grace of God. Wonderful, beautiful. Sounds so good. Sounds like a very good news. And then we come to another kind of passages in the New Testament that sound very, very different. For example, Luke chapter 14, verses 26, 33. If anyone comes to me, Jesus says, and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Now he's speaking about the cost. And there are scores of passages like that. So we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem here. So on one hand, we have scores of passages that declare the good news of God's extraordinary outlandish love, mercy, and generosity expressed in giving salvation as a free, unconditional gift of His pure grace. That's on one side. Yet on, on the other side, we have passages that declare cost, that declare high price that a Christian has to pay to live life that God wants. It speaks of effort. It speaks of pressing on. It speaks of perseverance. So what do you do with these two seemingly contradictory messages of the New Testament? First category speaks of even people who didn't even seek God. They don't, didn't seek God, but, they, but, but God was found by them. And they got flooded with His love. And the other speaks of pressing on and persevering. So actually, there are not many options what you can do with a problem like that. I'm going to list them to you, and you can actually identify which one are you using currently in your life. And I'm going to tell you which one you should use at this time. 
So the first one is to ignore. that We love that option about many problems in life. We just put it under the carpet like it doesn't exist, right? But it does. Come on. You heard me. Another option is really, really like and stress and give a lot of weight to one category and kind of uh, diminish the other, right? That's what we do often, too, to the Bible. I do that if I'm not honest and if I don't stop myself and say, hey, Dennis, look, it's there. You have to acknowledge that. <laughs> you have to deal with this, dude. So yet there's a third way of approaching this problem, and this is the worst thing that can happen. It's to lump them together, to mix them. The message about the free gift of God's grace and the message about the effort that needs to be exerted in Christian life to put them together. That's, my friend, is worse than mixing bleach and ammonia in your spiritual life. That thing is going to kill you. And unfortunately, a lot of preachers today, very popular preachers with a lot of following, they do that very thing. So what does, this such, what does such mixed message do to people? Well, it deprives people of their blessed assurance. It unsettles their souls. It weakens their conscience. It removes the unshakable spiritual foundation from underneath them. It throws them on the emotional roller coaster. It turns many believers into judging Pharisees, unable to truly love and serve others and minister God's grace to others. That's what it does, this mixed message. Thousands of believers constantly slide into despair and depression because of this mixed message. Many, and I'm not kidding, many end up in mental hospitals because of this mixed message. I'm not exaggerating. Many give up and decide they don't want to do anything with the church anymore after years of being tormented by this mixed message. So coming back to this problem, I suggest that you've got to be honest. You've got to say, yes, both messages are in the New Testament. I suggest you don't ignore and acknowledge that they're there, and you don't vote for one against the other. They're both there, and they're there for a reason. And God forbid you should mix them. Don't mix them. Don't say amen to those preachers. They might be very charismatic. They may be very good. But just take your time and study your own Bible. All right? And get convinced so that no famous preacher can sway you from that. So two biblical words will help you to see, identify, and differentiate these two messages. One word is salvation. And the other one is discipleship. And you got to understand, they're very connected they're interconnected, but they're different things. And the Bible shows them without a doubt that they're very di different things. In fact, if you don't, if you're not careful, if you just scheme over the Bible text, you will be tempted to lump them together. Because very often, God on purpose put those things so close to each other, they actually, they're spoken in one breath. They're in the same passage of the scripture. They're right next to each other, almost no seam. But if you stop and look carefully, you will see God speaks of two different things. And I'm not going to be able to cover all the passages. And by the way, this study guide that we left at the Welcome Center, please, if, if you're touched by today's message, grab one copy 
and make it yourself study during the week. Just study those passages. Not all of them will be clear, but a lot of them will be clear to you. Well, anyway, I'm going to use two of such passages that actually has both, have both elements in there. First one is Ephesians chapter 2. And the second one is John chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 2, first verses. First few verses of chapter 2 talk about, give us a background, talk about how we used to be dead spiritually and we used to live in this world and follow the course of this world just like the dead fish follows the flow of water. And then it says, beginning from verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, here it is, because of His great love, here it is, with which He loved us, when we were dead in trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. Here it is, salvation. And He says, by grace you have been saved. Grace is unmerited love and favor. Unmerited. You have done nothing to deserve it. Undeserved. He said, by grace you have been saved. And he says, he, God, raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's the message of salvation. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. But then we come to verses 8, 9, and 10, and they're the key. Listen to that. For by grace... You have been saved through faith, that not of yourself, that is the gift of God. Once again, not of works, lest anyone should boast, nothing to do with what you do. That is salvation. And in the next breath, in the very next verse, verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that is discipleship. That is different. The second one is based on the first one, but it's different. These good works, what are they? I want to say they're deliberate, intentional, purposeful. And they're prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. Walk in the Bible denotes a lifestyle. Something that you do daily. And it's, it's a daily small decisions that you do. It's kind of a lifestyle. That's a good word. Lifestyle. So we, the cool thing, we're saved by grace. But as a church, we're God's workmanship. And we're put here for good works. Not of our own device it says the good works that have been prepared beforehand for us to walk in and now i'm going to turn to gospel of john chapter 4 and it's a beautiful beautiful story and it has wonderful illustration what it means it has both salvation message and it has a call to discipleship it has a lesson about salvation and it has a lesson about discipleship and i'm going to show you both so please follow me before i start chapter 4 of gospel of john how many of you have read this chapter it's about the famous conversation that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman by the well of Jacob. Those of you who haven't, you've got to come home today and read this story. And let me tell you, this story is so rich, so there is no way I'm going to be able to touch a lot of details of this story. It's just impossible. 
In fact, I'm going to skip most of the content there. I'm going to keep us focused on our topic, which is distinction between, between salvation and discipleship. So I'm going to rephrase most of this story and read the key verses. So Jesus is coming from Judea. Judea is a region where a lot of religious zealots were, and they don't like Jesus. And he is going to Galilee. Galilee is also part of Jewish nation, uh, but they're more relaxed. They're not as religiously zealous as those guys in Jerusalem. And Jesus decides to go through an interesting place called Samaria. And Samaria is a region when <clears throat> you Google it later. But it's, it's people who are a mixed breed, I want to say. Yeah, so they're like, they, they have some Jewish blood in them, but they also have some Assyrian blood in them. And they develop their own religious system that is very similar to Jewish, but it's different because Jewish religious center is in Jerusalem and they have their own temple. And because of all of that, they have very complicated relationship. Basically, it's animosity. They don't talk to each other. They loathe each other. They don't approve of each other. They call each other false religion. Right? So, Jesus comes to this place. He sits down by the well. He's wearied from the day journey. And they're tired, and they're hungry, and they're thirsty. And he sends his disciples to nearby town to buy food. And he remains at the well to take a break. And then a woman from Samaria comes, Samaritan woman. And she sees that he's a Jew by his dress. And he sees that she's Samaritan. So she is about to play the same cultural protocol. She's not going to talk to him. She's basically going to ignore him, pretend like he's not even there. So she's about her own business. And all of a sudden, Jesus disrupts this cultural protocol, and he says, hey, woman, give me a drink. And she's like, you're a Jew. I'm Samaritan. Our people don't talk to each other. And Jesus uses this opportunity to start speaking about salvation. He says, if you would know, actually, I, I, got, I, I got to read this verse to you. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew, listen to that again, the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he, speaking of himself, would have given you living water. He's using a metaphor of living water, speaking of salvation. And the woman begins to say, sir, what are you talking about? Like, you don't even have a bucket to draw with? Like, what are you talking about? And then she says, interesting thing. She said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? This well was given to us by our forefather Jacob, and he himself was satisfying his need, quenching his thirst from this well. His family, his relatives, his livestock. So he's a great guy. And are you greater than him? So basically, he's saying, who do you think you are, sir? <laughs> and Jesus says, yes. In fact, yes, I am greater than him. Because, listen to that. That's the water he gave you, and that's what this water does to you. And the water I give you is different. And here comes the difference. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will Never thirst again. Amen. Never thirst again. But the water that I will give him 
will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. That's a message of salvation. It's a free gift. And then she says, well, give me this water so that I don't have this thirst. And Jesus says, yes, come, bring, come get your husband and bring him to me. And she goes, uh-oh, uh, well, I don't have a husband. Let's put it that, this way. And Jesus said, well, you said, you said right because you don't have a husband. You had five. And the one that you're living with now is not even your husband. You said right. And can you imagine what this woman thinks at this moment? And then he says, well, I see you're a prophet because you told me everything that about my life. So, and she immediately begins to talk about religion. She says, you Jews, Jewish people say that we should worship in Jerusalem and our people teach that we should worship. And Jesus said, forget about that. It's not that. Neither of those places are, is true worship that the Father wants. The Father wants true worship. And only people who can worship Him truly are the ones who can do it in spirit and truth. And these are the people that received the gift of the water of life that I give. And then she says, I know that the Messiah is coming. And she has this hole building up at her. I know that the Messiah is coming. Can it be you? I know when he comes, he will tell us everything. And Jesus said, this is me who talks to you. She drops the bucket. And at that time, disciples come and they are amazed and they looked at what's going on. He's talking to a woman. It's a disruption of uh, cultural protocol. Jesus doesn't care. She drops the bucket. She drops whatever she was doing. And she rushes to her town to talk to people that she has found Messiah that everybody is expecting. And then the conversation shifts. And now Jesus begins to speak about something else. And I want you to notice that. This is salvation. And now, at this point, disciples came and they marveled uh, that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman then left the water pot, went her way into the city and said to men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? He, she's pretty sure. And they went out of the city and came to him. But before that happened, in meanwhile, the disciples urged Jesus saying, Rabbi, eat they brought food <laughs> it's interesting how jesus started the first conversation using the physical water and began to speak about the salvation and the second conversation that he begins with his disciples he starts using the physical food as a metaphor they said rabbi eat here's the food you're hungry you're tired and jesus didn't look tired by that moment I, I i reassure you and he tells them all of a sudden i have food to eat of which you do not know uh-huh <laughs> and therefore disciples said to each other has anyone brought him anything to eat jesus said to them my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? That's not true in, spiritually, in spiritual dimension. Behold, I say, that's, that's the words added by me. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. 
Here's what was happening. In the beginning of this passage, it says, the whole story was happening by the well and the field that Jacob gave to his children. So there was a well and there was a field. And Jesus said, you saying that it's not time for harvest yet? Look up your eyes. And they're looking their eyes and they see this field and the field is not ripe and the field is not white. But in the field there is a road from the nearby city and there are a bunch of people coming. He said, the field is white. Look up your eyes at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this is, for in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Other have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So, first part of the story, the water of life, the gift of God, free of charge. And the second part, the food, and it's a labor, and it's, 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 and it's a food. Do you see the difference? Are you with me? Am I preaching to myself? <laughs> oh, good, good. Say amen, somebody, please. Good. So, well, anyway, the story goes on, and many more believe because of his word. By the way, so, uh, so you see in this story, we have both things. Salvation, water of life, quenching thirst. And he also describes this food. He applies it to himself as a disciple of the Father who was sent on a mission. And we see the seeds of the discipleship and the behavior of that woman. You know, that woman was actually despised by her neighbors. They didn't like her. Uh, I don't have time to develop that, but every preacher in America... Neil included, knows that this woman was despised by her neighbors for her lifestyle. So she is not going to her friends to tell them about Jesus. She is going to people who, who resist her. And in fact, in this story, a lot of people believed in Jesus. But at the end, they told you, don't think too much of yourself. We believe he is Messiah, not because you told us, but because he is Messiah. Basically, they, they, they want to belittle her even at the end. But anyway... He calls it food. The food strengthens, it sustains, it satisfies one who partakes of it. It gives vitality. And my friends, this is discipleship. You all received the water of life freely. But if there's a huge lack of vitality in your life, I wonder if you're really practicing discipleship in your life. You don't have to listen to those preachers that say if you're not discipling, uh, if you're not involved in discipleship, you're near to damnation. That's a lie from the pit of a hell. You're saved. For by grace you have been saved, and that is not of you. And the water of life has entered into you and became the source of living water gushing up into eternal life. You have no problem with that. But the fullness of Christian life lays ahead in something that is called discipleship. And that's what I'm trying to convey today. That is a New Testament discipleship in a nutshell. It is a life of work. It is a life that is not about you, but about God and other people. It is a life of forgetting about yourself and your agenda, dropping the bucket and going to people. It is a life of reaching out to others 
and not just being consumed with your own affairs and needs and problems. It is a work that is focused on bringing good news about Jesus and His gift. So all churches in America speaks about discipleship. I wonder, people involved in whatever they call discipleship, how much do they talk to other people about the free gift of life in Jesus? That's the core of discipleship. It's not about you. And I'm not blaming you. I'm just telling you what I see in the Bible. All right? The life of discipleship enables you to enter into the work of God and into the joy of God. If I see a Christian living in a way that his life or her life is marked by depression and anxiety, I don't blame them. I don't condemn them. But I, I'm pretty sure they don't live a life of discipleship. I'm pretty sure they're focused on themselves most of their life. I'm pretty sure they don't tell others about the gift of life. Usually that's the case. I mean, there might be exceptions. I don't know. But usually that's the case. So, I intend to develop this topic in my next message. So, please come next time. I'll talk more about discipleship. And I'll tell you why you want to become a disciple in your personal life and in life of this church. But for now, let me just summarize. Salvation, and I hope you begin to see it in the Bible and be able to maintain this vital distinction. Salvation is a one-time event. The whole story about the living water is that Jesus said, you can't reapply it. The, the main characteristic of the water that Jacob gave you was you have to do it over and over and over and over and over again. The water that I give you, you take it once. And this is it. And you're done for eternity with Jesus. Discipleship is a long-term process. Salvation happens when someone believes in Jesus for everlasting life. Discipleship happens when a saved person decides to obey Jesus on a daily basis. Salvation happens the moment a person believes and receives the free gift of everlasting life. And by the way, if you're here, you have never received this gift of everlasting life, you can do it today. You can do it today. Discipleship happens when a saved person decides to obey Jesus. I, I've read that already. Discipleship begins at the, sa the same moment, but requires commitment and sacrifice to continue. Salvation cannot be earned, cannot be returned, and cannot be lost. Discipleship is either rejected, neglected, or maintained. Listen, discipleship is something you do. Don't tell, oh, it's all God through me. No, it's you. It's your good works. Yes, they're prepared by God, they're based on God's grace, they express God's goodness, but it's something that you've got to do. Don't say, go, may God do whatever He wants to do. No, there's your part too. Salvation is by belief in Jesus. Discipleship is by obedience to Jesus. Salvation is by faith. Discipleship is by works. Salvation results in eternal life in heaven and then on the new earth. Discipleship results in eternal reward in heaven. Are there rewards? I thought everybody's going to be equal like communism in heaven. No. No. <laughs> Read your Bible carefully. So I urge you to see this vital distinction. These two are closely related, but they're different. So keep your bleach and your ammonia in your household separate. <laughs> and keep salvation and discipleship in your New Testament 
separate, all right? Did I get this message across? All right. So for those of you who want to do self-study on this topic, at the Welcome Center, we have those sheets with uh, sets of pairs that will help you to study. Yeah, Neil is showing one, so they're on the Welcome Center. So Neil, you want to come and wrap it up and pray for us? Thank you. Thank you, guys. You are a gift, Dennis. Thank you so much. I love this brother. Um, Dennis and I met f probably five years ago, and uh, I. You, say part of you think? <laughs> you know, at my age, time is relative. So yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm I'm just so thankful for Dennis and and his. He, I, I call him my practical theologian. Man, he he's a theologian. You can tell. Sorting these two things out, that's something that's hard to do because, I mean, so many, there, there are, he said, famous pastors out there that are mixing the two and basically condemning people for not living uh, works, and, they say, and he, they're saying they're basically forfeiting their salvation, and that's not true. And so this is as clear a presentation as you can hear, and I totally affirm this as the truth. I just want to give my stamp of approval to what Dennis has said because I, I went down in 2012 because I mixed the two. And I can tell you there were, in the wee hours of the morning, I was pacing in the sanctuary with sweatpants on and, 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 and just crying out to God and saying how sorry I was that I, you know, if there was some way that I could still be saved, that I would, you know, try harder because I got the two confused and, and I had a breakdown. And uh, that's what will, if you're a sincere Christian, that's what will happen to you. Or you'll just walk away and give up. There have been so many people who have just walked away from the faith because it was just too hard. Salvation is free. And then to do the works of the Father is, is uh, it, it becomes a joy. It becomes something that we do out of, out of joy and gratitude. Uh, not because we have to, but because it's just a... Uh, just a, a response to just our love for him and, and our desire to see other people experience that living water, that salvation that's so free and so good. Um, let's just bow our heads. And um, if you're here this morning and you've never experienced the living water, if you've never asked Jesus to give you his Holy Spirit, if you've never asked him to come into your heart through his Holy Spirit, the living water, and become your Lord and Savior. I just want to invite you to pray this prayer. You don't have to pray it out loud. But just say this. Lord Jesus, I want this free gift of salvation. I want that living water that quenches my soul's thirst. I want to come into a relationship with you. I want to experience eternal life beginning right now. Lord Jesus, by your spirit, come into my heart. Quench my spiritual thirst in your presence. Wash away all my sins with your living water. And be my Lord and Savior forever. If you've prayed that prayer this morning for the first time, you now have eternal salvation. And now begins the awesome journey of discipleship. 
and just say, Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for saving my soul. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.